Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today's topic is another semi-famous contracting officer podcast stretched analogy. This one is about the contracting officer's role in the acquisition team. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywayacq.com to learn more. And let's get this one started. We're talking about the contracting officer's role today, and it's sort of like being a baseball umpire. Being a baseball umpire is is a thankless job. I mean, I I suppose most referees in in all sports are, are like this as well, but it's because when they're doing their job, no one really notices. On the other hand, if the umpire does not do their job well, it becomes the focus of the game. I mean, in, in Major League Baseball, blown calls, are, they're kind of legendary. Well, like we still talk about them years later. Before the instant replay challenge, at least now, now blown calls are, are questioned and dissected in super slow-mo, zoomed in cameras. Exactly. And- <laughs> super slow-mo HD. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, contract management, the contracting officer's job can feel just like that. If no one knows you're doing it right, you're you're likely doing it right. You're you're behind the scenes, you're invisible. And and a lot of people don't like that that invisibility. Anyway, before we get into more baseball and more invisibility, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Lenny Zuruf. Lenny is a contracts manager at OWT Global. They're in uh, Tampa, Florida. I want to thank Lenny for liking and sharing our podcast episodes, including the episodes on CPARS, on the CPARS system, and the Buy American Act. When folks like Lenny share our specific episodes on LinkedIn, more people find our podcast, and we're able to accelerate our mission of making government contracting better one contract at a time. Thanks, Lenny. All right, no surprise, we're talking about contracting officers on the Contracting Officer Podcast, which is, we, do, it's, we don't usually talk directly about contracting officers. We're going to start with a little FAR time. FAR 1.102-3 describes the acquisition team. And it says, The purpose of defining the federal acquisition team is to ensure that participants in the system are identified, beginning with the customer and ending with the contractor of a product or service. So it's important to note there, the FAR defines the federal acquisition team as the customer that's going to receive the product, and the contractor. So it's government and industry together that make the federal acquisition team. The contracting officer serves between those two, between the customer and the the contractor. Yeah, this is kind of a stretched analogy, but it's like the umpire sitting between the two teams in a game. The contracting officer serves to use the solution from the contractor to meet the customer's requirement. They're the two ends of the team one could argue, are stitched together by the contracting officer. FAR 1.602-2 describes the contracting officer's responsibility. It says contracting officer responsible for, here's the quote part, ensuring the performance of all necessary actions for effective contracting, ensuring compliance with the terms of the contract, and safeguarding the interests of the United States in its contractual relationships. That sounds easy. Yeah, yeah. In order to perform those responsibilities, contracting officers should be allowed wide latitude to exercise business judgment. That's why we say it's the thinking part of the job. It's a thinking job. And that's what makes this the umpiring 
that's why the umpire analogy makes sense, is that not all of the players in the acquisition team care in the same way about safeguarding the interests of the United States in its contractual relationships. That's the role of the contracting officers, to be that neutral voice. The FAR spells it out and says, contracting officers shall, um, among other things, ensure that contractors receive impartial, fair, and equitable treatment. So FAR is setting contracting officers up as the umpire right there. Because the rest of the government acquisition team may not care so much about impartial, fair, or equitable treatment. They just want their stuff. The customer wants their stuff. They're, they're not as concerned about impartial and fair. They want the source selection to be done, and they want the stuff. Yeah, they want it bought quickly. They don't necessarily care about following all the, the small business rules or any of the other regulations that slow things down. Right? This, it really puts the contracting officer in a tough spot of having to make hard calls to treat everyone fairly, and to safeguard the interests of the United States. Despite all the contracting officer jokes out there, the umpire role is very important to the overall process. The contracting officer's role, some of it is about setting expectations. We have to understand there's very little fanfare when it's successful. When things go well, you need to understand that the success is about meeting the mission not about getting the contract awarded or having the contract run smoothly. The contract running smoothly is a means to an end to meet the mission. So we don't celebrate the fact that the contract ran well, we celebrate the fact that we met the mission. And making the contract run well is the contracting officer part that goes back to the umpire part. When you're doing it well, nobody notices. Yeah, and it takes a lot of work to make it look effortless, to to make no one notice that you're doing your job well. <laughs> if the If the acquisition and execution process looks looks easy, and everything is delivered as expected, you're probably doing it right. You just won't get a lot of credit for it. <laughs> Back to the umpire analogy, when they're calling balls and strikes and all, none of the calls are questionable, you don't even notice them. You focus on the plays. You focus on everything else in the game. And again, that goes back to the, it being a thankless role. Yeah, well-run contracts don't make the news. Just like a game with no controversial calls doesn't get the umpire in the highlights on ESPN. A contract that is well-run, in quotes, I mean, it's an oversimplified term, but we're talking about when it's performed well, the government got their stuff, and the contractor got paid. Pretty simple table stakes, but not necessarily simple to do. Well-run leads to a low-maintenance contract experience. Contracts that are awarded effectively, the acquisition process goes smoothly, perhaps without a protest, although you might get protests even if you do everything perfectly on the government side. Sure. The contract delivers what's expected, whether supplies or services, to meet the mission. Funds are used effectively, and effective is subjective, of course. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about the authorization and appropriation process, which I don't think anyone could argue is, is super uh, effective at, at, uh, at protecting the taxpayer's <laughs> interest sometimes. <laughs> but it, when that money gets to your, the agency or department, did they effectively use those to the best of their ability that's what's, that's what's important. And from the industry side, it's effective if, if the contractor delivers and gets paid in a timely manner so that they can be successful and continue to deliver for future government contracts or commercial contracts. We don't talk about the, the successful contracts that much because, again, they don't make the news. A lot of what we talk about on the podcast is, is where things can go squirrely. But really, the ones that go well are the vast majority of contracts. Yeah. Most yeah. of the time, they work as designed. For sure. 
All right, this is about the point we usually talk about the acquisition time zones and the execution time zones. In this case, the idea of the contracting officer as the umpire goes from the very beginning of requirements development all the way to contract closeout at the end of the execution time zone. So, so it is all and none as far as time zones are concerned. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones and the execution time zones, we cover those in episodes number three and 84, respectively. All right, specifically on the government side, why does the government care about effective umpires? High maintenance contracts can be the result of poor umpiring. We'll say it that way. And and having contracts that are high maintenance eats up a lot of time and resources. It creates, think of it like sideways activity, like extra work. Uh, for example, lots of questions on the RFP that are a result of a poorly defined requirement, unclear evaluation criteria, or other things that the government can, that can control that the contracting officer is responsible for, they lead to t- the, the solicitation having more questions. This is where the contracting officer may have to make decisions that are that are unpopular and and push back on the government team by making them rework the requirements, making them rewrite and better define exactly what they want to buy. This is where extra time may have to be inserted into the schedule to make sure that the evaluation criteria are clear, right? All of these things, if you don't take the time to do it right the first time, you end up having to make more calls, controversial calls in the future to keep it clean. We, we talk about um, one of the episodes, maybe a couple hundred episodes ago, the amount of time you spend setting yourself up with effective evaluation criteria, all these elements in the beginning is one-tenth the amount of time it takes you to fix it later. Yeah. And that that fix it later, that's the sideways activity. That's the stuff that gobbles up our time that we can avoid by executing a good umpire strategy out of the gate. Right. Make the right call the first time, and it saves you from having to make a lot of other calls later. If the contracting officer doesn't control the process and make sure that everything is clear when the RFP is released, you're more likely to end up in a protest. Again, if the contractors didn't understand the requirements you were asking them to bid on, or didn't understand how to win, didn't understand the evaluation criteria, or if you just didn't explain, this is why you won, or more importantly, this is why you lost, this is why another company won, contractors may protest just because of a lack of information there. And that's something that the umpire can control. Explain why they made that call. Or or make it clear in the beginning, this is the call I'm going to make. So when you make it, there's no argument. Like you said, a a lack of attention to detail early, a lack of making the tough calls correctly early leads to higher maintenance contracts, equitable adjustments, changes in scope. In the end, you may end up terminating contracts if if things go really sideways. All that is extra work that is a result of poor umpiring early in the process. Or maybe you umpired well early in the process, but didn't umpire well later and ensure impartial and fair treatment. And that's when things got sideways. Regardless, being the umpire is that key role in the middle between the contractor and the customer. That leads us right to the contractor. Why does industry care about impartial umpires? Again, high maintenance contracts eat up contractor time too. All of the back and forth, all the equitable adjustments, all the the renegotiating of things, both sides are investing resources and, and, and people and time and money in all that sideways activity. 
If the acquisition cycle stretches out because of lots of back and forth, that consumes a lot of contractor time and money, right? They're not getting paid to ask questions about the RFP or write proposals or read the third RFP amendment. They don't get paid till a contract is awarded. Anything that's unclear up front leads to a more difficult acquisition. And like you said, after award leads to change orders, mods, other things, other non-productive activities. And when I say non-productive, I mean things that cost the contractor money rather than make them money, right? As a contractor, you want your people spending as much of their time as possible doing billable work, doing work that is making the company money rather than things that are costing the company money, which is what happens when the company's contracting staff and lawyers and, and other people are involved in 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 fixing things, in in maintaining the high maintenance contracts. And the, the way that I interpret non-productive is things that aren't focused on serving the customer's mission. Yeah. If we're distracted by sideways activity that, like you said, that it costs the contractor money, it means that they're not serving the customer, which goes back to the point of the contract is to solve a problem and meet the mission for the customer. Industry folks, look to the contracting officer for impartial, fair, and equitable treatment. The FAR spells it out directly. That is the contracting officer's role in between the customer and the contractor. Impartial, fair, and equitable to both sides. Yeah, it sounds easy, right? Right. We wouldn't have a podcast if it was. That, that's very true. And effective contract management, we've kind of been talking about this, but it largely goes unnoticed. Do, when you're doing this well, when the contract is managed well, it, it, it can somewhat go unnoticed. At the beginning, I, I used the word invisible. An effective umpire is invisible. They're, they're making all the right calls and everyone understands why they're making the right calls. And you don't even notice the umpire. Right. That's that's a smooth baseball game, although maybe it's not as fun because nobody's throwing popcorn or beer at, at the umpire for a bad, bad call. People get all riled up about that. The reason I bring that up. And I know I've told this story probably 100 times on the podcast when I first left the government and went to a small government contractor, the CEO sat me down and told me. If you're doing your job right, we're not really going to see each other. And I was a little puzzled. What he was saying to me was he didn't want to have to worry about contract management. He didn't want to have to worry about the non-productive activities, the things that cost the company money. He wanted to go so smoothly that he didn't even know I worked for him, right? No one was complaining about their contracts. No one was complaining about things being slow. No one was complaining about the contract staff. He wanted it to be invisible. And maybe that's an ego thing. Some people don't want to be invisible, but he made it very clear up front what successful contract management looked like to him. And what it looked like was, I don't even know it's there. It's an important lesson and it served me well. All right, speaking of serving well, let's serve our listeners well and wrap this one up. If you don't know this, the umpire, it's likely a good game, right? If neither the customer nor the contractor find themselves talking about the contracting officer or the rest of the acquisition team, that means that things are probably going right. Same thing as the umpire. Now, this depends on your point of view, I mean, which team you're on. This can make it a little bit difficult. The right call isn't usually going to make everyone happy. One, one of the, the sayings that I use a lot is, is every decision divides. So impartial, fair, and equitable doesn't mean that everybody's going to be happy. Right. It doesn't mean that every decision is going to go your way. Not everything will be in your favor. 
fair and equitable is for both sides, not just in the eye of the beholder. Uh, maybe it's in fair and equitable in the eye of the contracting officer, which is right in the middle. So by definition, it's not going to make either side happy the whole time. The program people, whether on the, the government side or the industry side, they might not know the name of, of the contracts managers who, who are are invis being invisible, that, that are running successful contracts, that are keeping things quiet, that are making the right calls, but they probably know the name of the people that they don't want to work with anymore. And for you program folks who are listening to the podcast, yeah, make sure you know you, you, you go say hi to your contracts manager because the, the fact that your contract's going well is thanks to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might have to look at the name tag uh, uh, on their, their cube or wall or, or, or whatever, or on Zoom if you, if you don't know their name, but that just means they're doing good. So overall, this, is a th a th this can be a thankless job. But realistically, a lot of professions are like this. I mean, doctors, lawyers, electricians, painters, plumbers, engineers, your accountant. If your accountant's doing it right, you're not talking to him much. Yeah. So this, this is common. I'm not saying this is only for government contracts. Fools. The trick is it, it's frustrating if you don't know this. If you think your role is to be known and you're not, it, it's going to be frustrating. But that's the weird thing about a lot of these roles is that when you're doing it right, you're kind of invisible, to use your word. Yeah. In the end, contracting officers have to make those hard calls. But if they're doing that right, if they're impartial, fair, and equitable, it makes the work look effortless and non-controversial, and everyone goes home and doesn't even think about how the umpire stole the game from me. <laughs> and with that, I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll see you, Paul. Thanks for joining us today on the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you need help interpreting equitable and fair from a contracting officer's perspective, Skyway's team of former contracting officers can help. Visit skywayacq.com or give us a call at 877-884-5280 to learn more. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. <laughs>